This podcast is brought to you by BankInfoSecurity.com. BankInfoSecurity.com is your source for the news and views shaping security and risk management within the finance space. This is the second part of a two-part interview with Philip Andre, an industry consultant who's been involved with the EMV movement since the early 90s, who shares his perspective about EMV in the U.S., smart cards, and e-commerce. We begin part two with a discussion revolving around chip-based mobile payments and the role mobile is likely to play in the U.S. migration toward an EMV or EMV-like standard. EMV interchange and regulatory reform. What changes can the payments industry expect to see in 2011? Chip-based mobile payments, they've been suggested as a way that the U.S. could perhaps bridge its move to EMV, but how would a mobile move jibe with the EMV standard that's already in place in other global markets? And how might this move to mobile impact the multi-use card that you mentioned earlier as far as loyalty, identification, and other things are concerned? Absolutely. Um, Mobile is clearly a much talked about topic these days. And if we leave the United States and we look at contactless, there are two forms of contactless transactions being conducted on a global scale. There is an EMV-based form of contactless that we see outside of the United States, and there is the magnetic stripe form of contactless that we see here in the United States. So if we move into France, we move to Canada, we move to Japan, we move to uh, Korea or uh, Indonesia or Thailand, they have already embraced a form of EMV in a contactless near-field context. And all of their implementations are based on a uh, proprietary implementation of EMV contactless. What is simultaneously happening, because they all recognize that we need to have global standards, is that EMVCO, the body that manages the EMV specification, has committed to producing a EMV contactless specification in 2011. They've already produced some baseline specifications that deal with how do I recognize that there is an EMV contactless application on that card. They want to go the next step and define a coherent and consistent EMV application for the point of sale device and also for the card. MasterCard, in a a recent um, London presentation, has made the statement that Visa and uh, others have embraced the the MasterCard version of PayPass that's being implemented in Europe and that they have contributed that as a baseline for the work that EMV is doing. So coming back to to your original question, where are we with mobile? If we look at what the uh, many of the merchants are now saying, they see mobile and near-field communication and EMV being launched simultaneously. They, they recognize that there is a fraud uh, issue in the U.S. marketplace. They recognize that they have a responsibility, and they also recognize that there is value in near-field communication when we talk about other applications, such as loyalty and couponing. And so they, they are willing and ready to make the investment as long as the time scale is reasonable, as long as the specification is stable, and as long as they get to decide when they do it and they're not mandated by such and such a date, thou shalt do something when such and such a date is much earlier than the date that uh, they would typically retire or replace the equipment in the marketplace. 
we then move to the question of, of multi-application, there's uh, a lot of, of uh, conversation around the context of a mobile wallet. And some of it sounds um, like people are using the mobile wallet as a, as a branding mechanism to talk about their unique solution. When I think about a mobile wallet, I think about taking my current leather wallet and taking everything that's in it and moving it into an electronic format into my mobile phone so that I only carry one thing. I carry my mobile phone, I leave my leather wallet at home, and hopefully I even leave my keys at home. ISIS, uh, the, the recent joint venture between AT&T, MasterCard, or excuse me, AT&T, Verifone, T-Mobile with Barclays Card and uh, Discover in the background, have talked about the idea of a mobile wallet, and they've clearly identified credit cards, loyalty cards, uh, and other mech coupons and tickets as things that they would see in their mobile wallet. So they're actually talking about a mobile wallet that takes our leather wallet and merges it. EMV already has built into it a concept called multi-application. It recognizes that we could have multiple payment mechanisms. So I could have my debit card, my credit card, my Amex card, my Discover card, my Visa Chase card, all inside the same smart card. And using that same specification that EMVCO is trying to move into a mobile environment, we will see the ability to um, migrate all of our plastic cards into the mobile wallet of the future. Google has also uh, you know, recently acquired a company up in Canada that has uh, patents around the concept of a multi-application wallet. So it'll be interesting to see what they're doing. And then there's been a lot of press around Google's activity and the idea of the, of, of the search for the digital wallet. Apple has been reported to be doing something. Uh, there are lots of people chasing this dream, and I suspect the, the biggest concern is how many consumers will embrace the dream. Now, going forward, regardless of what direction the industry takes in the U.S., a change is inevitable, and we've talked about that during this discussion. You recently shared some insights after reviewing our Faces of Fraud survey, and one point that you raised is that the industry continues to focus too heavily on fraud detection rather than addressing the real issue of identity assurance. The identity, you say, really needs the technology to authenticate the consumer who's conducting the transaction. EMV and the secure element within the smartphone are ways of introducing a higher level of authentication. Can you explain? Okay. There's two pieces. One I'm going to call a CAM or a card authentication method, and the other is a CVM or a cardholder verification method. The, the CAM, the card authentication method, basically says from that secured element, be it a SIM in your mobile phone or a secured trusted component in your mobile phone or your PC or whatever your physical device is or the chip card in the context of, a, of the existing magnetic stripe card with a chip on it, that secured element carries secrets that the terminal is able to challenge and assure that the issuer of that card was authorized to issue that piece of plastic. And because there's a secret in there, it's almost impossible, and you always have to leave the word almost uh, when you use the word impossible, to counterfeit that card, to replicate that card. Back when we first introduced EMV, we used to talk about the, the cost of replicating a card. And we said, well, what you've got to do is you've got to find the secret in each card, and the secret is unique by card. 
So the criminal has to spend the time and the money to get hold of your card, get the secret out of it, replicate your card, and spend the exact amount of time and money to do it for the next one. So he doesn't have an easy, replicable solution. So we, we suddenly have the ability to assure that the token, the card or the mobile phone, was issued by an authorized party, the issuing bank, could be the government if it was your social security card or your passport. Uh, it could be any entity that wants to be assured that you are carrying their their means of identification, their token, their card. Um, and, and, and the chip card, the mobile phone, gives us that capability uh, with very expensive um, problems from the perspective of the person who wants to counterfeit that card. The second part is cardholder verification the second factor in a security architecture. And what we do there is what we do, we, we ask the terminal to request a PIN, ask the point of sale device to request a PIN from the consumer, and then deliver that PIN, that password, to the card. And the card in its secured environment goes and validates that that PIN is the PIN that the card recognizes. So we now have what we call two-factor authentication, what I have, the card, and what I know, the secret, the PIN. And we now have a means of protecting uh, the integrity of the payment system in a very effective, not that expensive way when we start thinking about the card as maybe $1.50 versus $0.50, cents, and we'll find a way of affording uh, that luxury to the consumer. And as we talk about multi-application, you know, how many of us are willing to pay to get rid of the 50 cards that we carry and be able to reduce that to one mobile phone with all of those cards inside? There's value and, and potentially revenue that can be earned by the various parties in, in providing that wallet. And as you've rightly noted, if this were to perhaps replace some of the fraud detection technologies and systems that financial institutions are investing in, that could be a cost savings too. Yeah, very valid point. Um, we, we hear a lot about fraud detection and neural networks and, and, and systems on the issuer's side that are looking for patterns. And that means that they've got people who are, who are building rules to recognize those patterns. We've got companies that are developing software and maintaining that software. Criminals who are very good at figuring out what we're doing. So, so we, we have this constant escalating cost of fraud detection. And then we've got the criminal sitting on the other side saying, well, fraud detection, let me see if I understand. If that consumer uses an ATM in their local neighborhood, is the bank willing to challenge the consumer by calling them on their phone or denying that transaction? Hmm, so if I break that card down, I, I, I skim the magnetic stripe, I capture the pin, let me make sure I only use that card in ATMs that are local to that consumer's residence. Well, how does a fraud detection pattern resolve that conflict of the consumer in his locale and the criminal conducting fraud in his locale? And the problem is that we have to deny the consumer or we have to accept the fraud. And, and no fraud detection system is ever going to be able to, to successfully satisfy the consumer's want to get money or buy goods and the criminal's desire to steal money or steal goods. So the, the balance between consumer satisfaction and, and protecting 
the consumer from fraud becomes a, a never-ending, escalating uh, investment on the part of the issuing banks. Whereas if we look at identity and we say, let's guarantee the authenticity of the card, then I need less detection because I'm going to do it at the point of transaction and not try to do it as part of the transaction. And in closing, Philip, could you give us some perspective, maybe the top three points that you would say revolve around the future of payments in the U.S. and some of the movement and challenges you expect the market to face in 2011? I, I think the, the, the first one is, is this whole discussion of fraud and what are we going to do and who's going to drive mitigation of fraud. And, and fraud migration is happening. And I'm reading more and more articles, U.S.-centric, where criminals are putting faces on ATMs and, and putting cameras in ATMs and using Bluetooth technology to capture uh, my magnetic stripe and my pin and putting my card at risk. So, so we've got fraud that we've got to address, and, and we've got very smart criminals who are making really good uh, returns on their investment uh, to break the system, and we're going to have to combat that. And we're seeing issuers recognizing that the magnetic stripe is not secure, that fraud detection while good is not great, and, and recognizing that they, the, 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 the government may at some point in time say enough is enough, you need to do something. So number one is fraud. Number two is the convergence of mobile. And, and do we have a compelling business case for the merchant surrounding mobile payments, or do we actually have to look at um, mobile loyalty, mobile couponing, some form of, of marketing and advertising that draws payments into it. And, and then you sit there and go, Who, who's going to play? And it's a, it's a full world out there with, with people like Google. And now the, the three major carriers in the United States with their ISIS consortium, uh, you've got you know, people like uh, you know, Amazon who are sitting in the, in the wings watching all of this taking place and wondering where their game is. And you've got a lot of people who, who see significant revenue. So the convergence of payments, mobile, couponing, and, and, and other services that can be enabled through the mobile device uh, will be a major area of conversation in 2011. The, the third piece is going to be uh, Durban. And, and what's, what will be the net impact on interchange and what will be the net impact on the revenues to the bank and how are the banks going to justify any investments that they have to make? And simultaneously, will, the, will we, the consumer, uh, actually receive the benefits from Durban? If interchange is to go down, will the merchant reduce the cost of the goods we buy? And if we use Australia as an example, that did not happen. The consumer ended up paying more because they got hit with card fees and the merchant kept the profit from reduced interchange. So the third piece of, the, of, of my concern for 2011, an area of, of discussion, is, is this whole thing around interchange. Where will the Fed come out? What further legislation will we see coming out of Congress? What further uh, debate is going to take place as various alternate payment mechanisms come into the game and say, well, I've got a cheaper payment method than Visa MasterCard and, and merchants embracing that? It's a lot to consider. Yes, I, uh, th this is a, a complicated space. So, you know, as we, we think about fraud, we think about interchange, we think about mobile. There's a, a, a lot of conversation that has to take place. There's a lot of people 
believing there's a lot of money to be made and there will be confusion until somebody pulls everybody around the table and says, what are we going to do? Let's be coherent. Let's write the specs. Let's write the standards. Let's agree on a common time frame, a common um, architecture uh, for how we're going to make this all happen. Otherwise, we, we're going to have chaos in the marketplace. Philip, I'd like to thank you again for your time today. You're very welcome, Tracy, and thank you for the opportunity to speak to your audience. Again, we've just heard from Philip Andre, a payments expert with extensive background and knowledge in the area of EMV. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kidman. This podcast has been brought to you by BankInfoSecurity.com. For more interviews, breaking news, research, and educational webinars, please visit www.BankInfoSecurity.com.